Welcome to the Lovingly Conscious Podcast, a podcast in which we discuss what it means to live a conscious life with love as a central point. I believe that if we all live life consciously, make conscious decisions and take responsibility for our own lives, that the world would be a much better place with love at the forefront. That is why I created this podcast, so we can discover what it means to live that mindful and conscious life together. My name is Megan Josephine, and I'm your host today. Let this epic episode begin. Before we get started with this really, really good episode, I want to talk about my platform called Meditation for Students. Meditation for Students is an online platform on which I've created 39 meditations, especially for students. And these are for students who know this feeling. You never give yourself the permission to take a break. You always feel like you've got something to do and you cannot relax and you have the words stress literally written on your forehead. You are constantly in your own mind worrying about life. Does that sound like you? You are at the right place. The platform Meditation for Students has 39 and counting meditations, four lessons about meditation and mindfulness, 16 affirmations to reduce stress, a bonus meditation, a daily planner, journal prompts, gratitude exercises, 13 tips to stop stressing and access to the exclusive Facebook page which will enable you to follow extra meditations. I will be teaching you what meditation is and what mindfulness is and how to meditate and how to apply mindfulness in your daily life but this won't take up a lot of time because I've created this for students who I know are busy, who have a social life, who have a job and of course a study to fulfill. Your biggest concern might be I don't have time to do this and I'm here to tell you that I'm not strict with you. If you feel like you don't have any time to meditate, then don't do it. And if you do have time to meditate, then do it. You are already busy and stressed enough. I don't want you to feel like meditation becomes a factor of stress too. So please feel like you can meditate whenever you can meditate and do it in your own time, on your own bed or just in the in the park when you've got time in the park to chill out. If you want a 50% discount for meditation for students, you can use that on my website, www.meganismindful.com and use the promo code podcast and you will get a 50% discount to meditation for students. I hope to see you there. Hey there, welcome to a new episode of the Lovingly Conscious Podcast. I'm Megan and I am your host. Today I am talking to David Waldy, and David is the most amazing person on earth. I can literally say that he is an angel walking on earth. He's a gift. So David is the fierce empathy coach. I came across him on TikTok. Uh, One of his videos had blown up completely about empathy, how as empathic people we basically can read people's faces and I completely 100% agree so his video was all about how people can lie to us and we can straight away see it see through it because we can just see what's actually behind it and I was I was very intrigued I was like I need to speak to that man and it's really interesting because um as an empath I really (laughs) I've noticed how I've become reliant on being able to read people's faces because then sometimes these people cross my path of which I cannot read their face because they are so non-expressive that I literally do not know 
how they feel. And I have a really, really hard time dealing with those people. So that's a really beautiful reflection point for my life. Anyway, so David is a life and business strategist, speaker and co-founder focused on empowering leaders to get out of their own way, create aligned abundance and never stop becoming. He has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and shared stages with influencers like Tony Robbins. Holy shit. I just spoke to someone who has been on stage with Tony Robbins. That's literally mind blowing. Okay. He is a father, husband, outdoorsman, coffee snob, avid nonfiction reader, and a personal growth junkie. And he's really funny. So David and I have been talking about what it's like to be an empath and how we can go through life as empathic people. But it became so much more than just an interview. It really became a conversation and he gave so much free content. I really, um, oh, I felt so happy at the end of the conversation. He said to me, this is one of the most fun conversations I've had in a long time. And I was like, yes, oh my God, this is so good. I'm so happy. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to let you wait for David. David is, yeah, Davy babe, you're amazing. And um, I, I'm just going to let you guys enjoy this conversation. So enjoy. Hi, David. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Megan. I'm super excited for today. Thank you. You're so kind. You're already so kind. I love that. Okay. Um, question number one is which conscious choice have you made today? Mm, that's a great question. So conscious choice that I made today was uh, to, to maintain a habit of, of exercise. And so I uh, went to bed last night knowing uh, that's one of the hardest things I think for a lot of people is consistency in their health. And it's always been a challenge. I do not like to go to the gym. But uh, every night that I go to bed, I'm envisioning the person that I want to become. And it helps me. The first thought that I wake up in the morning is like, this is what you need to do to become the man that you said that you would be. And so it's a very conscious choice for me. And if I don't do that, I typically don't end up at the gym for some reason. <laughs> That's a really strong choice. What do you do on the days that you really do not feel like going? So on the days like for the past like week or so, I've been dealing with a head cold. I think a lot of it comes down to uh, to given grace, uh, there's there's times where in the past I would get really upset, like very, very frustrated that I didn't execute on something that I felt like was a priority. And for years, it was just, I would, I'd live in the past. My thoughts would revert to the past, which was very short-term past of where I was a failure or frustrated or irritated. And it would just translate into every other part of my life. And now it's is giving myself some grace and saying, okay, well, that isn't in alignment with who you want to become. So what needs to change? Right. And that's typically what I'm doing with any, any of my conscious choices is if I'm, if I miss it, right. If I haven't been conscious about the choice and I just, you know, stuff happens, life happens is giving myself grace, but also recognizing what needs to change. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Wow. Thank you for that answer. That's really great. Um, so tell me about your story. How did you become a coach for empaths and what made you the person that you are today? That's a big question, Megan. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I can break it down. <laughs> yeah, that's a, it's a great question. So for the vast majority of my life, uh, I've been obsessed with, with personal development to some degree or another. I love to read. I love to, uh, to consume information. It's uh, something that I, I obsess over. I, I, the more that I learn, the more I learn how little I actually know. And so it's a very, um, it's a very stretching process when you're just constantly trying to, to open your mind, expand your mind. And, and you know what, 
a lot of people call a growth mindset. And so I've had what I feel to believe or to be a, a growth mindset from a, a relatively young age. And in my teenage years, I started, you know, hearing about these things like personality tests and strength tests and things like that. One of the oldest ones that I was very familiar with, uh, it's called Clifton Strengths Finders. I think it's been around for maybe 20, almost 30 or maybe longer, but I remember taking that test and I remember the, the, the top strength that I had was empathy. And now as a man, I was not very thrilled <laughs> that, that that was, that was like my top strengths. It was like empathy, connectedness, adaptability, um, input, and then inclusivity, which are all very relational strengths, very relational strengths. And I'm, I consider myself to be um, a, a quote unquote introverted extrovert. I have primarily extroverted tendencies, but I have some very strong introverted tendencies as well. <laughs> and so yeah, literally, seriously, now, now you're talking, sorry, I'm interrupting, but I, I feel like I'm sitting in front of the male version of me is crazy. Okay. So sorry. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But as a, as a man, Megan, it was, it was very challenging because I, I grew up conditioned that, you know, uh, empathy in any way, shape or form was not a quote unquote manly characteristic, right? It was very soft. It was loving. It was conscientious. It was kind. It was gentle, right? Um, it was causing people to feel seen, heard and understood. And so I really wrestled with that for years. It was like this resistance. And I, I think the primary reason I was resistant to it is because I didn't have an, a good understanding of what empathy really can be. It was kind of a one-sided definition instead of understanding more about what empathy can look like in a healthy capacity versus what it was for me, which was very much just, I feel all the feelings, I love everybody, but uh, I'm also enabling. I'm also doing a lot of, things in the relationships that I have that are causing me to walk on eggshells. I have no boundaries. I'm, I'm, you know, there was years of just immense pressure and pain because I didn't understand the gift. I didn't understand what it, what it could look like. And so that progression through my career, I ended up, um, I went into sales. I, I actually, when I graduated high school, I turned down a full ride scholarship because I just felt like it was not the right pursuit for me and ended up going into a two-year internship program learning all about leadership development, interpersonal communication. There was some ministry focus. And from there, I went into sales. I built a, a pretty successful career in sales. And by my mid-20s, I had, quote unquote, achieved the American dream. Um, I know that you're not an American, <laughs> but... It's the Western, Western civilization dream, basically. Yeah, it's the, the, the glass corner office, the six-figure salary, the company car, the company credit card, all the, you know, the bells and whistles and perks. And, and I, was, I was borderline suicidal. I was dealing with suicidal ideation. My anxiety was through the roof. I was about 40 pounds overweight. Um, my wife and I had just welcomed a new, our first baby into the world, and I was working 70, 80, 90 hours a week managing and running a team that was generating millions and millions of dollars in revenue. And personally, I had become a top 1% producer in this company that generated $400 million a year. So I, I was doing well, right? I looked like I was doing really, really well. But what was fascinating to me was in this process, I learned that my approach to sales and marketing and business in general was very empathetic. And it was just a natural thing. But it was also something I started teaching my team is it's how to relate better to other people, how to relate to customers, how to relate to each other. And it was incredibly useful. And through that progression, I had a mentor of mine that um, 
she challenged me. She said, David, it feels like for most of your life, you've been focusing on the areas that are like your fours, fives, and sixes. Your, your, the, the, the things that aren't really strengths, but they're not really weaknesses either. I mean, cause I knew don't focus a ton of energy on your weaknesses, <laughs> you know, mitigate them, but don't focus a ton of energy on them. But I was working with these, these mid-level strengths that weren't technically strengths. And she said, why not focus on your sevens, eights, and nines and nines and make them all tens? Like, why don't you, you take the empathy side and the adaptability and the inclusivity and the connectedness and all of these different elements. And, you know, because that's who you are. That's like part of your hide, hard wiring. And you have such a gift for being able to empower other people to step into that, even if that's not their natural tendency. And so the numbers didn't lie as far as the sales were concerned. I was really good at sales, but I didn't feel like I was good at sales, Megan. I was like, I'm not a salesperson. I am not like the stereotypical, like I don't fit that at all. Like never slimy, never manipulative. I always was trying to look out for the best interest of, of my customers, my clients, making sure it was a good fit. And that progression kind of led me, I know we're talking business side, that that was actually what helped me start to understand for for years, I'd been resistant to whether it was in relationships or in business or in any capacity, I had to go all in on my strengths and to finally step into that. And that led me into entrepreneurship, uh, starting my own company and starting a second company with, uh, with two business partners. And the empathy has really like risen to the surface where eventually my understanding continued to evolve and it's become this fierce empathy. And I know we'll dive into that a little bit more, but it was just life. It was life kind of just pulling these things out of me, happening for me, even when I didn't feel like it was happening for me and mentorship and guides along the way, just calling greatness out of me in my own unique way, which I didn't feel like was greatness. I was like, this is just normal. This is it's just who I am, right? And from there, I realized that not only in entrepreneurship and businesses was this in, in corporations, was this such a lacking character trait of having empathy for our teams and for our clients and for our customers, but also just in, in marriages and in relationships and in, in, in people's lives in the day-to-day. -day. And it wasn't Megan until I had, um, I had one of those Hollywood moments actually, which was really intriguing. If you can kind of think of a movie where you visualize the giant conference room, you've got, you know, it's the glass enclosed, there's a massive conference table and you've got the big dogs on one side and then the little, little old me employee on the other side. I had one of those moments and I had, um, had one of the owners of the company stand over and literally curse at me talking about how I, I had actually come out about some things that I saw going on behind the scenes that were not ethical, not moral, they were wrong that backfired. And I was cursed at, told that I would, the only reason that I was there was because I was a financial asset that they could tell me and my entire team, our entire floor, just to pack up and leave if they wanted to, that I was disposable. And um, I realized in that moment that something had to change, but I was terrified. I was, we're a single income family because I didn't want to lose my job. Um, it's really hard to replace overnight a six figure salary. <laughs> and I'm just thinking, oh my gosh, I've got a new baby at home. I've got, you know, my wife, what, what is going on? And over the series, a course of about six months, Megan, I went, I had a $40,000 pay cut. My wife and I lost a child to miscarriage and I, I just hit rock bottom. 
And I realized that all of my habits and all of my resistance to who I was and how I believe that God had made me was I was dealing with the results of all those choices and decisions. But in tandem with that, I believe that all those things were needed and intentional and happening for me because it caused me to say, no, I'm going to go all in on who I am. And I'm just going to share this. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm going to go all in on trying to help other people to learn how to experience a, a more quality life in their businesses and their families by living in a, in a state that is more empathetic, that is more caring, that's more understanding, that's more kind, but at the same time, recognizing again, that fierce side of saying, I see you, I hear you, I love you, I understand, I I want to, I want to be with you fully present in this moment, but I'm also willing to say the hard things to speak the truth in love, even if it causes discomfort, because I care about you, I'm not going to beat around the bush. I'm not going to walk on eggshells and I'm not going to let other people abuse my boundaries and take advantage of me, which is a, a big struggle for a lot of empaths or people that have a higher empathic tendency. Thank you for your vulnerability i mean that's an extremely powerful story especially what you say about being a male as an empath i mean being a female as an empath is already quite a struggle in some ways but i recognize so much of what you say um i'm glad you're still here i'm glad you made the decision to become happy and to step into your strengths and i'm happy you had people around you telling you to go go for the eights and the nines and the tens instead of the fifth fives and the sixes and everything um, and a few things that I picked on that you said is doing things, you did things that you were good at. You did things that you, you could, are you a perfectionist? I have a perfectionist tendencies. It's, it's been tendencies. curbed over the past few years because I've seen how it's not useful. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I feel like that might also, you know, empaths and perfectionism, that that's sort of a thing, like a correlation we often do things that we're not necessarily, well, we're good at, but we don't love it, but we see how people love how we are doing it, if you know what I mean. And then it sort of gives us the fulfillment, okay, of like, I'm, 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 I'm sort of okay, I'm, I'm okay, because someone else sort of validates me in that way. Yeah. And I recognize so much of what you say um, at my work behind the scenes too. I, I basically, I call people out on not not working empathically I have a hard time doing that and I'm really good at my job because I work with people and sometimes I feel like I'm way way too personal <laughs> in comparison to what the organization wants me to be if you know what I mean yeah. you know uh, last week one of the volunteers came over to me and said Megan I've got cancer and oh I just is a two meter tall man super fit I just held him and he cried you know and those sort of things it's just oh yeah. But then I have to call people out on the fact that they within the organization are not being that empathic and that's hard. And if people are start, start screaming at you, that comes in like really hard, if you know what I mean. It's, it's, it's like a like we miss a boundary or something. Yeah. And talking about boundaries, and that's really one of the things that I think we as empaths have to set. We have to set boundaries because if we don't do that, we're just gonna yeah. end up burning out. Mm -hmm. We do. <laughs> the hardest part about boundaries though is that we thrive in giving, right? We thrive yeah. in giving and serving and loving and helping and empowering and equipping and doing all the things to, uh, to lift up other people. But what I found is that when we look at our lives and we look at the results, what 
what the average person, whether empath or not, we are wanting some degree of, of health in our relationships, in our finances, in our bodies, and in our overall well-being. Like we, we just, you know, we want to be happy. We want to have great relationships. We want to have, you know, financial abundance. We want to have a healthy body. We want to be able to do the things that we love. We want to be able to enjoy life. And the problem with so many of us empaths is that, and it's, it's a fixable problem, but the problem, one of the biggest problems that I see is that many of us have never given ourselves permission to define what we want or to ask for what we want because we're living in a perpetual state of helping other people get what they want. And the reason is, is because we feel selfish. But when we take a step back and we look at, like when I look at my spouse, right? And, and are, are you married, Megan? Or do you have a significant other? I've, I've got a serious relationship, yeah. A serious relationship. So tell me if you've ever experienced this. You guys are out for a drive and it's dinner time or it's lunchtime. And you say, hey, babe, um, what do you want to get food? And they're like, oh, I don't care. What do you want to get food? I'm like, well, I don't care. What do you want to get food? Well, I don't care where do you want. And eventually one of you is going to get ticked off. <laughs> You're like, just freaking tell me where you what, like what you want to eat. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to be conscientious. We're trying to be loving. We're trying to be, you know, empathic. It's like, what do you want? Like, I'm here. Like, I, I love you. I want whatever, you know, what, whatever you want. And what I've found is that it can create this immense frustration eventually in the relationship if that is a constant habit in the relationship of you're constantly looking to try and and fulfill the, the other person's wants needs and desires but you never ever express what you want and a lot of times i think it's because of this conditioning where again we feel like it's selfish but if we take a step back and you look at your significant other megan right one of the deepest things that you want is to help them get what they want and when you look at what they want, you don't think that's selfish of them. You actually love it. You love that. They, and you'll, you'll get ticked off when they won't tell you what they want. But when they do tell you what, what they want, you become energized and alive because like, oh, cool. Now I know what I can do to help you get the Christmas present or to take you to, on the date or whatever it is, you know, because I get to help fulfill that desire. But for us, for some reason, somewhere along the line, for many of us, we got convinced Everyone else is allowed to do that, but I'm not. I half the time don't even recognize when I'm going over a boundary. When I'm, I don't, half the time I don't even know what I want, if you know what I mean, because they're so in tune to other people. Within my relationship, I recognize what you're saying. For us, it's the holidays. Um, Ross has, Ross is um, rather a dominant character, um, <laughs> which is interesting. Um, and on holidays, he would always like pick out our holidays where we'd go and I'd end up having a miserable time and he would end up having a miserable time because of that. So we've learned to communicate, to communicate about that too. So it's definitely true that if we, if we know what the other person wants, but that if we also set our own boundaries within that, then it can just be more harmonious and more fun. And it, it, more and it allows us, I think, to, to really convey love like if 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 ross tells you he wants to do something and you're like okay yeah that's fine i'll go with the flow right that's how we are a lot of time we're like we're just, we'll just go with the flow we don't want to ruffle any feathers we don't want to you know make anybody upset but what i've found is that healthier deeper intimacy and connection comes from saying you know when i have a conversation with my wife my wife wants to do something like babe i really don't want to do that like, it yeah. doesn't sound interesting to me. It doesn't sound like something that's fun. I don't feel like I'm going to enjoy it, enjoy it. But 
here's the deal. You know, I love you. And I know that this is important to you. So if you're telling me that this is something that you really want and you understand where I'm at, I will happily do it with you because I love you. Not the thing, but because I love you. And I'm willing to do that self-sacrificially in a healthy way because I've communicated that I don't want to do it. (laughs) So she knows she knows where I'm at when we go and she's, she's more conscientious. She's more understanding. She's more, she pays more attention to the time and how much, you know, and she's, she's more intimate and connected through that experience of whatever it is. And it doesn't create that tension, which is a lot of times when we don't communicate that we don't want to do something or that we do want to do something. And we get to the party or the event or the outing and they're like, what the heck is wrong with you? Like, why are you in a bad mood? And then they get in a bad mood and they're like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. And you're really not fine. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly this. Okay. So this uh, podcast is turning out to be like a relationship. (laughs) Relationship. (laughs) Okay, cool. Going back from the detour. Um, you are your you are your own boss, and I love that. Um, how can you make how do you make your beautiful contribution to the world? And can you explain something about the work that you do? Yeah, so one of the incredible things I think about learning ourselves and our our natural strengths, our natural giftings, because there's a lot of people in the world that you know really struggling with this thing we call passion and fulfillment and joy and especially in a social media landscape, it's really hard because all we see are the snippets, right? All we see are the best of the best of the best. And what I think it happens is we create unhealthy comparisons. And especially in the influencer quote unquote space, I see this all the time. I've worked with, excuse me, I've worked with influencers that have millions and millions of followers. Many of them um, have great hearts, many of them not so much. It's all ego. It's all about money. It's all about, you know, uh, there's a number of things, but what I think we, we fail to recognize is that when we have people that we follow, that we respect and admire influencers or thought leaders or politicians or uh, artists, musicians, um, any of those type of people, what a lot of times we do is we create this unconscious gap between ourselves and them. And it limits our capabilities and it limits our ability to define what we want in life because we think that they're somehow special, right? There's something, they're not like me is what we tell ourselves. And what I found, Megan, was when I started to let go of trying to be anything other than me by finding the people in my life that really inspired me, but that I didn't idolize, they inspired me. And I really had tremendous respect for them and their achievement. And I honored what they had done, but they weren't, they weren't this unhealthy, like idol, right? It helped me start to define for myself the man that I wanted to become. And that's where I think so many people miss it is that everyone's asking, you know, um, what do you want to do in life? What do you want? What do you want? What do you want? And many of us can't answer that question. I think the reason many of us can't answer that question is because we've never given ourselves permission to define who we want to become. Because in defining who we want to become, what we need to do and what we want to do gets crystal clear. Because if I can see a a vision or a version of myself, if I can visualize a version of me that I want to step into one day, 
I can immediately create alignment in my life because I can start asking the question, well, would that version of me do what I'm doing right now or not? And what to do becomes clearer. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What was that, Megan? No, that was, that's so powerful. That's all I want to say. That's really powerful. But it's freeing because, you know, the fulfillment and joy and satisfaction in life, I think it's for most of my life, especially I, I have a pretty, you know, religious background growing up. I had this, this thing in, um, in Christian circles, it's called your calling, right? God's calling on your life, very similar to passion or purpose and things like that. And for me, I always felt this pressure of like, well, God, what did you, why am I here? Like, what did you make me for? Like, what's my, what's the thing? Like, tell me the thing. And it would always, oh, Megan, it would, it would make me so frustrated, especially in my early twenties, where it seemed like everyone that I looked at, they had a plan and somehow I didn't get the memo. Like everyone else, like I'm going to go be a doctor or I'm going to join the Peace Corps. I'm going into the military or I'm going to pursue this internship program or I'm going into this Fortune 500 or I'm going to become and all this stuff. And I'm like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. And the question was always is like, but God, not my will, your will be done. Like it was this prayer of like, God, what do you want? What do you want in my life? And, And it wasn't until I started to shift that and realize that these things that were passions and little hobbies and things that sparked joy. And even in watching movies or shows or reading books, there were these little red threads of joy that you would pick up on. And something about it was just like, you kind of come alive. And when I started pulling on those red threads and started like leaning into the, all these different things, like my strengths, I started to realize, oh my goodness, I get to decide. No, no one why did no one tell me this? Why did no one tell me that I have the permission to define what I want my life to look like? And I, at the time, I didn't know how, but the way to do that is defining the man or the woman who we want to become. Because when we can grab hold of that vision, again, like I said, what we need to do, it's crystal clear. And that doesn't always mean though, it doesn't always mean that we're going to enjoy everything that needs to be done. I don't, again, I don't enjoy going to the gym, Megan. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like it. Right. And there's a lot of times I'm sure in your relationship too. Like one of the things I joked about this the other day, I hate doing the dishes and I hate doing the laundry, but I love my wife and they're very useful. I love my kids and I'm going to do it anyways, because it's very useful and it's aligned with the husband and father that I said that I would be. And so it makes those decisions much easier because I've aligned with the version of me that I want to become. That's beautiful. And because you feel that passion for that outcome, that's how you get the energy and the passion and the emotion to go and do that. Yeah, absolutely. And for people listening, some I know a lot of times this can sound like, well, David, that sounds great. That sounds really easy. I wish I could just define who I want to become, but just recognize for, and I've, I've been learning this so much more is that every person on the planet defines success or achievement differently. Every one of us, there's not a single person that defines it the same, but all of us, all of us define failure the same and failure is our inability to reach our goals. But if you don't have goals, and you don't know who you want to become or what you want in life, start small, start very small, small, do micro goals, something you want to achieve in the next six months, in the next year, and understand that that success, when you achieve it, 
you're going to have a whole new level of consciousness and awareness of yourself and of life. And you have permission to redefine again, what success means, what achievement means. And it's not this, the end is the goal is like, no, I'm achieving this thing so that I can experience a more fulfilled life. Knowing that when I achieve that thing, that's not the end. I now get to redefine what the next level looks like in my life. And that's a very freeing yeah. thought that we get to constantly rediscover, realign, redefine, right? It's super fun. Yeah, it's taking small steps and then following what feels good and what doesn't feel good and basically following what our hearts tell us to do. And like you said, I don't know who I want to become. Okay, so you can start with, for example, I want to be a better friend. Okay, so what does a better friend look like to you? And then step in, like design that version of yourself. Like, I don't know, brings small gifts, is there when they need people. Those, those small steps are already steps to becoming who you are. I love this way of working. It's beautiful. What a great way of doing it. Um, and do you, do you like when you coach people, is that how you work? Yeah, that's a lot of the work that I do. The primary orientation of the work that I do is, is focused in the, the online coaching and training space. So I work with a lot of life coaches, health coaches, relationship coaches, helping them to understand not only how to grow their business beyond six figures to six to seven, depending on how they define success, but many of them are just getting started. I have a whole team of coaches that, that help people in the online business space, learn how to market, learn how to sell, learn how to run operations and deal with developing a team all centered around integrity, all centered around empathy, all centered around not being the super slimy <laughs> manipulative gurus that we see online. Um, so that's a big orientation, but then the, the fierce empathy side for, for me as well is, is something that uh, is what I call life coaching for people that think that life coaching is a joke. Um, and it, a lot of it comes down to uh, setting very specific goals and then I use the SMART framework. So S-M-A-R-T, are you familiar with the SMART goal? Yep. Yeah, so I use the SMART framework. And then what I do is I help people to answer the, like the question, like you just said. So I wanna be a better friend, right? So we look at all the different elements. We look at spiritual, we look at your physical health, we look at mental health, we look at your relationships, we look at your career, looking at all of those things and defining over the next three to six months, which ones are the most high on the priority list and which ones can we create a systematic approach to achievement? Because a lot of times we forget that it's really the little things that are the big things. It's our habits, it's our routines, it's our systems. It's the things that we do often unconsciously day in and day out that eventually lead to the results. And so making a conscious shift for a 30 to 60 to 90 day period on a neurological level, it actually changes the neural pathways in our brain. And so helping people to create new neural pathways in their brain to change behavior, to get different results. And in that process, being able to do it without sacrificing what matters most, without failing to be a great parent or a great spouse or you know, great friend. And in that process, it's, uh, it's unique to each individual. And so it depends on those goals. And so there's kind of an exploratory process of what it looks like. Um, yeah. And a lot of times it's hard to quantify, you know, in the business side, a lot of the business stuff that I do, especially for coaching, consulting, and speaking, we're looking for a quantifiable ROI. Like what is the dollar amount if we change this process or we do this marketing plan? What we were, we're all looking for the return on the investment. And so sometimes in the the quote unquote life coaching space, it can be harder because 
it's hard to quantify sometimes like being a better friend, right? <laughs> so, right. It, it, yeah. it can be hard to quantify. And so uh, working with individuals to more than anything, my tagline, if you'll call it, is never stop becoming, is I help people redefine who they want to become so they can make the necessary changes and step into those new habits and create the consistency because the consistency is key. Everyone's like, what's the, what's the quick fix? How do I change my life? And like, well, it all starts with habits. It all starts with routines. It all starts with really at the core, our belief systems. And so that's usually the foundation is our belief systems and our thinking patterns and how we react, especially as empaths, how we react emotionally instead of respond. Yeah. A lot of people don't know how to handle all the emotion that comes and, and learning practical tools to help manage those things. And then looking at your beliefs about what's possible in your life and who you can become and redefining that and then realigning your life with those by creating the habits and consistency. That's how I help facilitate change in people's lives. That's a huge change. <laughs> That's it's like fun. It's, it's, it's intense, but it's fun. Yeah, yeah, it's intense, but it sounds really good. I really, I really feel like you can help so many people with this. So thank you for doing that work. Thank you. Um, so what does it mean to be an empath? I'm just going to ask this because some people listening aren't empathic. I was doing this course at work and um, this lady who was giving this course said, yeah, I just, um, I gave a training for people to learn to read other people. And I was like, you need to teach people how to read, read other people. <laughs> well, I don't, huh? Okay. But apparently those people exist. So for the people who aren't empathic, who are listening, what's an empath and how do you know if you're an empath? a great question one of the things that i found really interesting is that um all of us kind of define it similarly but there's also some differences i think there's it's kind of like when we when we're familiar with a term but we've associated certain things to that term that don't necessarily mean what it is and that can oftentimes become a trigger or it can offend people when really you got two people looking at the same term and it means very different things so for me I would say an empath is someone that has almost this natural hardwiring for uh, excessive empathy, right? And excessive, not necessarily in a negative term, is that you voluntarily or involuntarily feel and sense and see and experience more on the emotional scale, you're higher on the emotional quotient scale than what would be considered the average normal person. And a lot of times I think that this gets demonized. It's people like, oh, you're super special. You're an empath. Now that's, that's great. You've got your superpower. And what I found is that, you know, every single one of us on the planet has unique, unique giftings and skill sets. And we're all tribal by nature. We love to congregate with our people that get us, right? Yeah. <laughs> we like to do. Yeah. And so for someone on the outside looking in, it can almost be this scary thing because I think a lot of people define empath as you've got some super psychic ability or you've got the ability to, you know, do super, you know, I've heard some crazy stuff about astral travel and like stuff that like, I don't, I don't know anything about that. All I know is that identifying as an empath to me is someone that has an extreme degree of empathy that is probably the answer of to, to for people to find out whether or not you, you are an empath is, do you have anyone around you that tells you you're too sensitive, <laughs> that tells you that you feel too much or that, you know, you get stuck in your head too much. And, or if you're constantly like asking how people are feeling, right. If you're constantly asking, 
you know, hey, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? If that's a, if that's a default thing, chances are probably good <laughs> that yeah. you fall underneath that empath category. But here's where I want people to be conscientious as well, Megan, is that I hate labels. I really hate labels because I think a lot of times it gives us justifications and excuses for why we are the way we are instead of recognizing that on a neurological level, um, like science has now proven this, that we can change. And so even people that say, well, I'm not empathic, I don't have any empathy in my body, so don't expect anything from me. I think that's incredibly arrogant. And I think it, it is putting themselves into a box and making a justification for why they don't wanna change. But I think of the opposite side is true as well, is that, well, I just feel too much and I can't handle my emotions. And like, you know, that, that very, I, I think it's a very selfish approach instead of recognizing, no, all of us have the creative capacity to change, evolve, develop, and grow. And it might mean that we just have a misunderstanding and if we're willing to work on ourselves and learn more about our gifts, learn more about our strengths, learn more about our tendencies, enforce the boundaries, create and develop new tools and practices, any one of us can change. Any one of us can, can grow. And I think this is a powerful part of our conversation, Megan, because I think a lot of empaths feel like it's a curse, like their ability. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, I got, an, uh, I got a question about that on Instagram, but I just want to respond to something you just said is that we should never let the way that we are, the label that we give ourselves, be an excuse for a certain behavior. Mm -hmm. Because I see, I, I identify myself as an empath because it makes my life easier because I know how, it, how, how I can positively go through life. Yeah as an empath, because it gives me like tools, you know? Um, but if it doesn't mean that I'm like, okay, so I'm an empath, so I'm never gonna have a hard conversation with someone that I do not like, you know what I mean? Um, it's challenging, but I still should do that. Do that. And people can change. I, I would like to use the um, example of Sheldon from Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I know it's fictional, but if you see him like at the beginning of the series and then at the end when he's been in a longer relationship and how he has grown his empathy skills, um, yeah, it's definitely possible to become more empathic or to be able to deal with your empathy in a way that you can still have rigid boundaries and be okay with who you are. Yeah, and that's where I think fierce empathy comes in is that fierce empathy to me is not just this thing for empaths. I feel like it is a, um, it's almost like this symbiotic, healthy, whole, holistic look at what empathy can look like where it is that gentle, kind, feeling, understanding. But at the same time, it's very fierce. It's assertive. It's willing to enforce boundaries. It, it is willing to say no. It's willing to, you know, to have the uncomfortable conversations. And so to your point, when we talk about these labels, I think it's very good for us to be able to help ourselves know how to navigate and how we operate. But it's also an invitation for growth, expansion, and change. And there's a lot of times where I see people that are higher on the empathic scale, they're like, well, you know, because I'm an empath, I don't go to social gatherings or I can't be around more than yep. three people at a time. Or, um, you know, I, I don't confront, it's just not worth it. Right. Or I never say what I want and never speak. And, and those are, uh, those are these beliefs. They're, they're these ideologies that people have been so consistent with the pattern. It's become a habit. 
and they don't recognize that it's a habit. And so when we've created a habit for decades, many people, years or decades, or for the vast majority of our lives, it can be incredibly hard to, with humility, say, wait a minute, okay, maybe this isn't useful. And maybe it's possible for me to change. What do I need to do to change? And that's one of the beautiful things that I find in, in, in neuroscience specifically and how the pathways in our brains, you know, it's very much like, I, I love the analogy of the farmer, right? If a farmer gets up every single morning, hops on his tractor and he drives a mile out into his field, if he does that for 10 years, there's going to be ruts on that road. And there's going to come a point in that 10 year period where he can jump on the tractor, start it up, push the gas pedal, and he can take his hands off the wheel because the ruts are so deep and the tractor is going to go exactly there. But if we make a 1% correction, 1% correction on the steering wheel, not a full-blown 90 degree turn, not like, uh, you know, over like 1% change. And you're starting where that, that, that farmer is. If you turn the steering wheel one degree, you will end up at a completely different location a mile down the road than if you had stayed in that rut. And so it's recognizing these, these patterns, these habits, it really like science has shown us now it's somewhere between 30 and 60 days where you can literally rewire your brain, which is, Incredible. If you think about someone that's had decades to create these ruts, you can completely undo that in 30 to 60 days. And that's crazy. it's not a quick fix. It seems quick relatively, but it is one of the most uncomfortable things that we have to do. And we don't like change. None of us like change. But when you, when you assertively and decisively commit to the change and say, I'm going to create a new habit and be consistent on this, no matter how uncomfortable it is, eventually it becomes an unconscious thing. Just like the bad old habit became unconscious. We just did it. It's just a normal thing. Yeah. You have to proactively create and commit to the new habit for a period of time. And when you do that, eventually it becomes quote unquote second nature because you're now going to start operating that unconsciously. It's just a new part of how you are. Yeah. And then a great tool is what you just explained is to basically create that vision for yourself. Like I want to become this and this person in this and this area and then go for it. And yeah, it might be shitty sometimes and hard, <laughs> but you got to, you know, yeah. stick with it. <laughs> Thank 100%. you. Um, I loved your video on TikTok about the way that we can so easily read people. So, and you also say that being an empath is a superpower. So how can we use our superpower for good? It's a great question. So the reason that I think it's a superpower is because it enables us to see the unseen. It allows us to create this beautiful connection with people that in most situations, would be completely unseen, unheard, and misunderstood. That we give people an opportunity to share their voice. We give people an opportunity to feel heard. We give people an opportunity through our elevating and lifting them up. To me, it's less about calling, uh, you know, I know what people mean when we say we're calling out stuff. What I try and do is reframe that and say, wait, what if it's actually calling up? I'm not calling out 
in the sense that I'm trying to out them from, you know, or, or invade their privacy or to cross their boundaries or cause them to feel embarrassed or ashamed or anything like that. But I'm doing that because I see some form of greatness inside of them. And I want to call them up to a higher standard, something they maybe they're not even giving themselves permission to believe yet. And I think that's one of the most powerful things in life is we think about the people. There are people that believed in us when no one else did. And especially when we didn't, like when we didn't believe in ourselves, we have people in our lives that believed in us and called the greatness out of us. The reason I think it's a superpower is that we can go into an environment. And I see this a lot at, at events. You know, if I'm speaking at an event, I'm, I'm attracted to the person that's sitting over in the corner quietly and not socializing for some reason, right? I'm going to go to that person. Like everybody else can be having a blast, but that person, no, that person, I want them to feel included. I want them to feel seen. I want them to feel connected. I want them to feel loved. And that's why I think it's a superpower because the average person, I would say, isn't going to notice that or isn't going to feel any level of responsibility to that. But that's also a challenge is recognizing that, no, I don't have a responsibility to that person, but because I love because I feel it's aligned and because I want this, I will go connect with him. But that's where a lot of times we miss it. We, we take on this guilt or this shame or this feeling of like, well, if I don't do it, no one else will. If I don't, if I'm not emotionally vulnerable, or if I don't, you know, if I don't ask them how they're doing or how their day is, or, or then no one else will. And this person's going to die a lonely death. And, and we put like, we have this savior God complex on our lives <laughs> thinking that it's God. Yeah. Ross, Ross calls it the Jesus syndrome. I seriously have the Jesus syndrome sometimes. Yeah, it is. It is. And I, I'm just like, we ain't Jesus. Nope. <laughs> it's not our job. <laughs> no. Nope. Oh, yeah, it's so true. Okay, we do not have a lot of time anymore. And I really want to ask a few questions still. So you are an empathic man. And if I could tell my partner why it's cool for him to be vulnerable and to be an empath, you know, instead of the butch man who has to like throw temper tantrums, what would you tell him? Or what would I tell him? It's a great question. So I think that the first thing that we have to do is recognize that it's not our responsibility to make other people like us. And like us in the sense of um, not like us, like love us, but, you know, to make them similar to us. Because I think part of the beautiful part about life is having all of these different personalities and, and, and the tendencies we have and exploring what that can be like together because of how useful it is. Like my wife is not high on the empath scale at all. Um, but there are so many strengths that she has that I don't have that I, I, I used to resent until I started to really see her and see how those were really useful things and beautiful things that make us have an incredibly healthy family dynamic. And it causes us to be able to, to dive in and create more intimacy and connection. I think, especially in the world that we live in, we have, <laughs> when it comes to relationships, we've been conditioned, many of us for, you know, the first probably 10 plus years of, of our dating lives, is we get conditioned to like, okay, I feel like I like this person. I'm going to feel it out. And if, or when I don't feel it anymore, we move on. Right. And you, it becomes a habit. And so then we get into yeah. marriage, we get into these, you know, something that's supposed to last for life. And then there comes a point where like, I don't feel like it anymore. And what mm -hmm. most people do is they just file for divorce. And what I think people are starving for is like, where are the 
where are the marriages that last 50, 60, 70 years where, you know, you create a life together that lasts and whether you want to, you know, kids or not, you, you have a beautiful, powerful, intimate relationship. And I actually, this was part of that personal development stuff that years ago, I started looking for models, Megan. I started looking for people that had achieved a degree of success in various areas. And I wanted to ask them questions. And so there was a portion, there was probably about a year long season where in my sales job, I got to spend a lot of time in nursing homes, a lot of time. And so I would sit with these people for 30 to 45 minutes, you know, 80, 90 years old and, you know, ask them about their life. And the ones that told me that about their spouse and what, like just going on about their spouse and I'd find out they've been married, they were married for 50 or 60 years before one of them died or whatever. Like, what was, what was the key? Like, what was the secret? Like, how did you, how did you make that happen? Right. How did that work? And the consistent theme that I heard from every single one of them was, communication, communication, communication. And I think the second part to that was that consistently they, they told me, they said, we said, work harder on being each other's best friend than anything else that you can possibly do in life. Not your career, not your kids, not anything else. Be best friends. And that I think is incredibly important for us in relationships and why I believe my wife and I have such a, you know, we, we've been, we're getting ready to celebrate eight, eight years now. And a lot of people talk about like the seven year slump. And I'm like, what's that? Like, <laughs> because we're proactively, consistently working on understanding each other and having open dialogue and communication apart from the moment of emotional heightened tension which is typically where we get into the fights and we're lashing out like, why are you this way? Well, why are you that way? It's like, yeah, yeah. and we get into, yeah. it's finding time and dating as well to really get to know each other and asking, asking questions um, and saying, hey, you're this way. It's not my job to change you. I'm this way. It's not your job to change me. But how can we create a beautiful, unified relationship that loves and respects the differences that we have and learn them about each other so that we can better relate? And in learning things, like one of the things that I found incredibly useful, Megan, for, for uh, my wife is that there's a lot of times where I'll see something and she's heavy, like she's just feeling like she's tense, she's stressed, like she's hurt, there's pain, something's going on. And as the empath, I'm like, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> like, what's, what's the deal, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I found that when I, when I ask her, I'm like, Hey, are you, are you okay? Um, now she will tell me, no, I'm not okay. Versus in the past, it was like, I'm fine. But we had to have a conversation around that. Be like, Hey, when you tell me you're fine, like all these bells and whistles go off in my head because I know you're not fine. And I don't want to impede or intrude on your privacy or whatever's going on. I just want you to know I'm here for you that I love you and that I'm here to listen. If you need somebody to listen in that space, it it's helped me learn that, that when we have these situations where she is closed off or she's dealing with some emotional tension and she does open up, she tells me what's going on. My other default was I'd go into fix it mode. Like, well, here's what you need to fix. Here's what you're doing wrong. Here's what they did wrong. Here's why you shouldn't think that here's why you shouldn't believe that here's like Mr. Fix it mode. And what I found is that was not useful. 
I thought it was. I was like, I'm fixing the problem. Like, I got this. Yeah, you're dealing with this, this, and this. Let me just fix you right up and send you. But it, it didn't cause her to feel seen. It didn't cause her to feel understood and cause her to feel validated. And what we've changed, and I'm not the best at this, but it's I've definitely come a long way, is I will now ask her, I'm like, babe, are you just sharing these things because you need to share them and you're wanting me to listen and be here with you in this moment? Or are you looking for solutions? And that simple question has been a game changer in our relationship because a lot of times she'll say, no, thank you. I, I just needed you to listen. I'm like, I love you. I'm here. I'm with you. I got it. Like, you know, it's okay. I'm sorry you're dealing with this stuff. And that's it. And I leave it. And then I remember it's not my responsibility to fix her ish. It's not my job, right? Yeah. But there are also times where she's like, no, I really want your advice. Like, I really like, what, what are your thoughts about this? Can you tell me? like what those solutions are. And then I will proceed with courageous humility based on what I can sense is going on. I'm gonna say, okay, so I've got some solutions, but I need to know, like, are you seriously open to hearing some of them? Because some of what I want to share with you, you might not be too thrilled about because I'm seeing some stuff here that might be your responsibility. Are you okay if I share that? So again, I'm just questioning. I'm just asking, I'm digging because I want to be conscious of her but I also want to help in the most useful way. And um, that opens up clear communication. That's beautiful. So it's basically, it comes down to teamwork and to asking the questions and to basically giving the other per person, it, whether they are male, female, non-binary, the, the space to share their vulnerability. And if they do not want to, then that's also okay. Yeah. And I think expressing as well, again, what we want, right? Yep. You can express to him um, because especially a, a lot of men have a tendency of not being vulnerable in any capacity because uh, we think it's weakness, right? Mm. Um, and we don't want to be perceived as weak. Like one of the biggest things that a man is scared of is being perceived as weak and not being respected, right? That's one of the biggest things. And uh, I think for, for women on the opposite side is, is feeling feeling safe and validated is a big part. And you would be able to speak to this better. Feeling safe and validated and loved, right? Cared for, like that you're, you're a priority. And I think it's communicating those things is, is if you're having a conversation with them saying, hey, when you don't, when you're not willing to open up and be vulnerable with me, it makes me feel like, it makes me feel like this, right? X, Y, and Z. Okay. Now, babe, I don't know if that's true or not. And I don't think that's probably your heart. I don't think that's what you're trying to convey. I'm just letting you know that's how it makes me feel. And I just want to have an open dialogue to understand more about when I, when I do ask you these questions and you just shut me out or you don't say anything, I want to know what's going through your head so I can do better about you know respecting that and how I can handle the emotional turmoil that happens because I feel like they were disconnected in that moment. And I don't want us to feel disconnected. So either I'm not seeing something that I'm hoping you can help me understand, or I want to create more healthy communication where you feel safe being vulnerable with me, knowing that I'm not going to, you know, if anything, it makes me respect you more knowing that you opened up. Right. And so yeah. communication really is, it's, it's, cool. it's hard but it's useful. Yeah, it's hard, but it's it's good. And you just learn by falling down flat on your face sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay, I've got four short questions for you. Um, what should we teach 
all children from a young age? I think we should teach all children from a young age that, mm, this is a great question, that differences and uniqueness are incredibly beautiful things that need to be celebrated. But within that, when someone owns their own specialness and uniqueness, us not demonizing that, because I think we live in a culture and a society where we get very confused between arrogance and confidence. And there's a whole lot of people that are terrified of being confident in their gifts and what makes them special and unique because they don't wanna be perceived as arrogant or proud in the wrong way. And so teaching our kids how to lovingly respect and honor the differences and uniqueness of their friends and of people and celebrating those things because it helps us become better individuals. But then at the same time, recognizing when they're friends or themselves, what it looks like to be like, no, this is who I am and I'm confident in it and I'm happy about it. And I love this part of me. I think that's something that we need to foster and facilitate in more children from a young age and help them to not demonize that when they see it inside of other, other people. Amen. Thank you. Amen. That's all I can say. Um, which book should everybody read? Oh, this is the hardest. I've read so many books, Megan, and I have a list that's a mile long. Um, I think one book that, I, that everyone should read um, is probably The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. And um, I always forget the other author. He co-authored it with, I think the last name is Man, if I'm not mistaken, but it's called The Go-Giver. And regardless if you, you know, regardless of whatever you do in your career or with your life, it has probably been one of the single most impactful books, um, particularly as an empath um, for me in my life. And it's written as a parable, which is really cool too. So there's like the fiction and nonfiction elements to it. It's really, really, really cool. So awesome. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Which other podcast should we listen to? It's a great question as well. I think one of my one of my favorite podcasts is actually called How I Built This. And it's hosted by Guy Raz. Um, it's an NPR podcast. And what I find incredibly fascinating about it is that it's the stories of achievement and success from all sorts of people from all walks of life, people that have created and built things of substance in the world and kind of giving their backstory and what they had to go through and their process of becoming I think it's really, really powerful, just even if it's not necessarily relevant to your industry or whatever it is that you do, just hearing those stories and finding inspiration in their lives, to me, is, is something I love. Beautiful. Thank you. And the last question, what's your tip for living a life in love? Mm. Best tip for living life in love. It's a two-part to this. Number one, I think remembering that it's not about you. Mm. It's not about me, right? That's part one, that a lot of people are looking to get, and they're looking for love to come, and they're looking for all this stuff that's outside of ourselves. And I wish that more people would understand that everything that we want in life is much more accessible than we realize because it's actually from within. That's number one. But number two, so 
remembering that it's not about us, but number two, simultaneously being willing to express with courageous humility what we want. I think it's a both and. I don't think it's an either or. I think that like my relationship with my wife, I feel like we have a beautiful, incredible, healthy relationship. We adore each other. We're best friends. Um, I think the most important thing is that I find our intimacy and connection and love gets deeper and deeper and deeper the more that I die to myself and do things for her because I love her, not out of guilt or shame or fear or anything like that. It's just because I love her. And I, I find that when we do that in life for most people, it's not a tactic to get it reciprocated. I think that's manipulation. I think that's wrong. Um, like I'm going to do that. Like I'll scratch your back. Will you scratch mine? Like, I love you. Do you love mm-hmm. me? Not that, but doing the things simply because you love and value that person. I think that's where many people are missing it is because they're looking to get and receive instead of part of that go-giver, which is in the book is that I think we can have everything that we want in life. If uh, Zig Ziglar said this a great quote, uh, we can have everything that we want in life. If we'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I truly believe that is that when we live a life of service to other people with boundaries and taking care of ourselves, self-care, loving ourselves and being our own best friend, enjoying life. When we do that, it's like everything, everything else just kind of works the way I think it's supposed to work. I think that's the essence of living a life in love. I think you've got it. I'm not going to ask this question to anyone anymore. This is it. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I love this answer. Thank you so much, David. I know you've got another meeting now, so I'm going to uh, stop the interview, but um, how can people work with you and where can they find you? Yeah. So I I always like to explore conversations. I'm uh, very specific in the criteria for the people that work with me. So if you're seriously interested, or even if you just want to connect, social media is great. Uh, I love hanging out on Instagram, TikTok, uh, Facebook. Instagram is the easiest place to actually create a conversation. So if somebody wants to reach out to me on Instagram, just shoot me a DM with, uh, you know, hashtag Megan or something like that, or lovingly conscious, right? So I'll, I'll know because I get I get lots of messages. So I'll know that you are from the podcast. But um, yeah, I've got a number of different programs, whether you're entrepreneurial or if you're just looking for you know, support in life and, and coaching and things like that. And so just reach out to me. I'm, I'm more about creating a conversation. I'm not the, hey, come buy all my shiny stuff. No, I want to no. get to know you and make sure it's a good fit. I want you to get to know me and, and um, kind of go from there. So beautiful. Thank you so much, David, for this conversation. We, we said we'd talk, you know, for about 30 minutes, but there we are an hour later. I loved it. Thank you so much for this conversation. You are such a beautiful beautiful person so i'm really grateful and yeah just thank you (laughs) thank you so much i'm honored i hope this has been useful and for for you and your audiences be blessed oh my goodness isn't david amazing i loved this conversation with him he was so he was literally so kind to me and i literally like i said in the interview i literally felt like i was sitting across well, not literally sitting across from him, of course, because it's a Zoom interview, but I felt like I was sitting across the male version of me. Literally, what he said, he said, I'm not an introvert, but I'm also not an extrovert, I'm both. And I was like, yes, that's me too. Okay, 
And all the other things he said about being an empath, I was like, I recognize this. I literally feel like I'm sitting across from a copy of me in a male body. So that was absolutely crazy. And the wisdom he has shared, I just found that so extremely powerful. And I, I just want to add that boundaries are really important, guys. So what he says at the end is, how can we live a life in love? By not letting it, not letting life be about us, but also being there for yourself. So as he says, you can be there in service of the other, but with boundaries, with loving yourself. And boundaries for empathic people are hard. And it's situations in life that are really going to learn, teach you how to set those boundaries. It's not an easy thing. It's really not an easy thing. And having having that life path is definitely not easy. But if you face those fears, instead of thinking, I, I'm an empath, so I'm not going to go into hard situations because it's just going to make me feel deep and sad. Instead of thinking that, go and face those fears, go and set the boundaries, go and live and see what it does to you and really reflect on yourself. And not only for empathic people, it's important for everyone, but especially as an empath, if you have a situation of which you can feel, I need to set a boundary here, that's really something that you can tune into. So that's just a tip from me as an empath, as a radical empath set those boundaries after you've made the mistake or maybe even analyze before a situation like how can I set my boundaries in here I hope you loved this conversation I did I think I think no I don't think I feel within my heart with all the joy I have in my heart that this has been my most favorite conversation he was literally just an angel on earth so yeah Thank you, David, if you are listening to this, and I am extremely grateful for this conversation. I hope it brought you something, and I hope to see you in another episode next week. Love you guys. Bye!